Warning, this show may contain adult content, language, and humor and is intended for mature audiences. If that's not you, please stop listening now. Nothing you hear on Sex and Science Hour is intended as medical advice, financial advice, legal advice, therapy, or really anything other than entertainment. Please take everything you hear with a grain of salt. Oh, and if you're hearing us on an affiliate network, the ideas and views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the network you're listening on or of any sponsors or affiliate products you might hear about on the show. Now that all that's out of the way, let's start the show. This is Sex and Science Hour with Brian Sovereign and Dr. Stephanie Murphy. Get your freak on. Oh, you know it feels so good to hear that theme music. Because you know what that means? That's right. It means we're back. <laughs> I haven't heard that music in months. Uh, neither has anyone else. Unless they've been listening to our old shows. <laughs> Which they do. Yeah, they they certainly do, and we try to make our shows timeless so Ooh. that if you uh, miss a show, it's never to fear. But we're coming out with new content. Happy season four, Brian! Congratulations on making it to our fourth season of Sex and Science Hour. Are yeah, you excited? Because I, I know I am. I definitely am, and I'll tell you why. Because uh, historically, with a lot of shows, like the fourth season is either it's when they jump the shark. It's either when they jump the shark. <laughs> Or it's when they get really fucking good, like Star Trek: right, Next Generation. We're, we're going to be one of the ones that gets really good. Yeah, usually season <laughs> three where they get really good. But anyway, that that didn't fit with what I wanted to say. All right, let's well, go. We're not. Ooh. There is going to be no shark being jumped here tonight, folks. No, because we have got a great show for you to kick off season four with a bang. First of all, it's the dog days of summer. We're recording this in July in New Hampshire. And uh, believe it or not, you know, everybody thinks of New Hampshire as this frozen tundra, but it does get warm here over the summer. So, um, very. Uh, this, the show is still not in video. Um, we are just, we're in discussions about that. Right now, you get a podcast and uh, you should be grateful for that. But yeah, we're trying to like, I, I need the software that does the blur filter. Because yeah. we're usually naked. It would be like yeah. naked and afraid on this show. Exactly. You know, be, we'd have to be blurring it out. That's part of the reason we don't do video because really right now um, we are not exactly decent for YouTube while we're recording the show. <laughs> so with that being never said. decent for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of body stuff. Um, okay. I've got a, a heck of an article to, to kick off Gosh, season four of Sex and Science Hour. And um, it has to do with, believe it or not, of all things, roller coasters and a surprising health benefit that they may have. Now, okay. <laughs> now, you you would never guess this in a million years, but um, I have an article here from The Atlantic. It's by James Hamblin. And it's called A Health Benefit of Roller Coasters. Basically... There was a kidney doctor, a urologist or a nephrologist. I don't like where this a is A kidney going. doctor who deals with a lot of patients who have kidney stones. And now if you've ever had a kidney stone, you know that they are excruciatingly painful. And because of the way that the nerves develop in, you know, ve- developing fetuses and some weird idiosyncrasies of the body, um, basically you can feel pain from your kidneys in your testicles if you are somebody who has testicles. 
And it's not really that there's anything wrong with your testicles. It's that you're feeling pain that's coming from your kidneys. It's just that your brain thinks it's located in the testicles. Mm. So you could have a kidney stone and have testicular pain. And some people do, and it's incredibly painful. Mm-hmm. So um, it's I've just not like gone when, through that. I just, yeah, continue. Well, thank goodness, Brian. Yes. I'm very glad for that. Yeah, It's just like when you're having a heart attack, you can feel referred pain in like your shoulder or sometimes or your even arm. your jaw yeah. there have been or your arm yeah there's been people who've gone to the dentist and said oh my jaw hurts and they said well there's nothing wrong with your jaw you're having a heart attack so um the body does weird stuff with with pain that's felt in the internal organs because we don't have to the pain is not pinpointed as precisely as it is when it's on our skin or sometime someplace on the outside uh-huh. but anyway regardless of that kidney stones bad news yes a doctor has found that Roller coasters could actually help with dislodging kidney stones before they become much of a problem. Okay, tell me more. And this is preliminary, but it's very interesting. Okay, I mean, so, this is kind of, it feels like a bad combination. Roller coasters, kidney stones, I mean. <laughs> yeah, you would think, but it's actually, uh, here, we'll read you the article right. and we'll we'll discuss it. So it, the story starts in East Lansing, Michigan, which becomes a ghost town during spring break. Families head south, often to the theme parks of Orlando. A few weeks later, the Midwesterners returned, sunburned and bereft of disposable income. And urological surgeon David Wartinger noted, noticed some also come home with fewer kidney stones. Wartinger is a professor emeritus at Michigan State, where he has dealt for decades with the scourge of kidney stones, which affect around one out of ten people at some point in life. Most are small and they pass through us without issue, but many linger in our kidneys and grow, sending hundreds of thousands of people to emergency rooms Uh, and costing around $3.8 billion every year in treatment and extraction. uh, The pain of passing a large stone is often compared to childbirth. Wow. Yeah. Okay. For years in practice, Wardinger noticed anecdotal reports from patients who had passed small kidney stones during and immediately after visiting Disney World theme parks. It was a correlation he might not have noticed in another place, he told me, but the mass migration helped bring it to my attention. And I guess they're saying because these Michiganders, these Midwesterners all go to Orlando for vacation and they're all riding the roller coasters and then they come home. But one particular gentleman really inspired Wardinger. The, the man rode Big Thunder Mountain Railroad at Disney's Magic Kingdom and then passed a small stone. Then he did it again, and he passed another, and then another. That was just too powerful to ignore, Wardinger said. I'd been hearing these anecdotal stories for a couple of years, but then I thought, okay, there's really something here. If there was a way to make people pass stones while they were still small, Wardinger realized, the potential benefits could be enormous. So Wardinger compiled people's stories, and he realized that the common factor was having ridden Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. (laughs) (laughs) He found anecdotal reports of people passing stones after bungee jumping, but no research on this bodily movement approach. So he decided to take things into his own hands and do a proper study. First, Wardinger used a 3D printer to create a clear silicone model that three-time uh, stone patient... Oh, sorry. Uh, so he created a model of a patient's kidney okay. that had had kidney stones. So he used a 3D printer to create a clear silicone model of that three-time stone patient's kidney. Then he filled the kidney with real with stones and urine. <laughs> Not real urine, I assumed, as I know the park already has plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Then he and colleague Mark Mitchell bought two tickets and flew to Orlando. 
Of course, the researchers had to get permission from Disney World before bringing the model kidney onto the rides. It was a little bit of luck, Wardinger recalls. We went to guest services, and we didn't want them to wonder what was going on. Two adult men riding the same ride over and over again, carrying a small backpack. (laughs) We told them what our intent was, and it turned out that the manager that day was a guy who had recently had a kidney stone. He called the ride manager and said, do whatever you can to help these guys. They're trying to help people with kidney stones. Other parks, Wardinger said, have reacted anywhere from lukewarm to really not sure what to do with us. <laughs> the two held the backpack between them, quote, at kidney height, to try to subject the model to the same forces that a person would experience. A stone was counted as passed if it moved from a starting location lodged in a calyx. A calyx is like one of those, like, smaller tubes in the kidney. Okay. Like, it's like one of those convoluted little caves in the kidney and fell down into a trap at the point where the kidney meets the ureters. None of the stones or fluid ureters are like the main tubes that go from each kidney into your bladder. So they, they're passing the stone along the urinary tract. Okay. Um, so, so basically they counted the stone as being dislodged. If it fell from within the recesses of the kidney itself down into the tubes that go into the bladder in Uh the model. Okay. So um, none of the stones or fluid actually spilled out during the roller coaster ride. The research protocol notes care was taken to protect and preserve the enjoyment of the other guests at the park. (laughs) So they're trying not to be too weird here. What was amazing was that within just a few rides, it became obvious that there was a huge difference in passage rates, whether you sat in the front or the rear of the coaster, Wardinger tells me. There was a lot more whipping around in that rear car. The stones passed 63.89% of the time while the kidneys were in the back of the car. When they were in the front, the passage rate was only 16.67%. That's based on only 60 rides on a single coaster. And Wardinger guides his ex- guards his excitement in the journal article, so they published this research. Preliminary study findings support the anecdotal evidence that a ride on a moderate-intensity roller coaster could benefit some patients with small kidney stones. Now, though, he has done more than 200 total stone rides on Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. But that doesn't mean it's the only coaster that could be therapeutic. Some rides are going to be more advantageous for some patients than other rides. So I wouldn't say that it's the only ride that helps you pass stones at Big Thunder Mountain. That's grossly inaccurate. There are other kidney designs to consider, too, as every person's calyceal system is different, like a fingerprint. So like everybody's kidneys are different. Uh-huh. But the idea is that if you ride a variety of roller coasters in a short period of time, that should help you pass small stones and lingering sediment before it accumulates into debilitating, costly, obstructive stones. So he's saying, like, before you get a kidney stone, you have these little crystals that's almost like sand in your kidney. And it's stuck there and it doesn't get out because you're you're not moving around. Right. And if you can do these body maneuvers and subject your kidneys to this kind of G-forces like in a roller coaster, maybe you can get that, you can shake that sand loose before it all congeals together into a big-ass kidney stone that's really painful to to pass. Well, hey there, Bill. I see you got yourself a kidney stone. Why don't you uh, go get out on big old Thunder Mountain and, <laughs> that's you know, exactly let's it. take care of you. But I don't, <laughs> I don't know. All right. So two things come to mind. Uh-huh. One is, is that, so are kidney stones a byproduct of a sedentary lifestyle really at the end of the day? If this stuff just, I mean, I know this is like that's relatively serious good, G-forces, but. Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I don't know. Like, if you're standing on your head and doing yoga and moving around, mm-hmm. is it m- maybe likely to dislodge 
uh, sand that basically sand that's in your kidneys? I would say probably, but we don't know because yeah. we don't. There's no scientific evidence of that. Um, according to his study, it's basically like those G forces that you would experience on a roller coaster are different than you would experience if you're going to be doing something like running or walking or yoga. Right. For Which... sure. So we don't know if those activities would also dislodge those little kidney stones, but maybe. Sure. Which brings me to point two. I think this makes it very clear um, that really the solution to a lot of our health problems is uh, continual atmospheric reentry in other planetoids. Uh, I mean, <laughs> like if this, if this isn't That's an argument, a roller coaster. Right? Yeah, if this isn't an argument for going into space on the regular, I don't know what is. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> I definitely agree. So, but that, I mean, that's fascinating. Who the hell would have thought of that? I think it's brilliant. I'm glad that, you know, the, the, uh, the mock-up, uh, that they used, that they took with them in the backpack on the roller coaster, uh, never burst. And suddenly, you know, they're going upside down on the Viper and. So, so he actually says that the person who wrote the article asks him, like the author says, so the urine that you put in the model that you took to Disney world and experimented on was actually water right and the guy goes no it was urine yeah it was my urine (laughs) (laughs) well (laughs) he said um the person who writes the article says i still don't know if he was serious i have no problem with urine it's just the fact of showing up at disney with a urine loaded kidney in your backpack yeah i use dilute urine i spent my life playing in pee i don't have that aversion to urine that most people have (laughs) the reason i didn't use water is because it would have put another variable in there that wasn't real so i used real urine to avoid criticism and no that's that's smart i mean because you don't have water in your kidneys you have urine so there you go yeah you gotta be sure i mean this is science no fucking around (laughs) (laughs) so anyway brian um you're not a kidney stone sufferer thank goodness Oof, yes um but if you were, would you consider roller coasters as an alternative treatment? Do you like riding on roller coasters? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I would do it. Yes, I would absolutely do it. Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, I'm I'm not like like roller coasters aren't my first choice mm-hmm. at uh you know at a theme park or something. But I'm not I'm not you know afraid of them. And certainly, it's like one of the you know I can think of lots of people I'd love to go on roller coasters with. So, is one of them me? Because I would love to go on a roller. Oh coaster hell yeah! Of course, one of them's you. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> Just checking, Brian. Actually, they're all know. women. But no. <laughs> <laughs> what What is it about? The faces that women make when they ride a roller coaster. Is it kind of like, thinking whoa, about that. yeah. <laughs> that's what I say when I go on a roller coaster. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's just a good time. But hey, if it was also, well, I mean, the, when I when I first heard the story, I was like, so what's going to happen? Are they going to start putting, you know, 30 foot drops inside of uh, hospitals now? You know, like to, to where, <laughs> modify I d- the elevators? I kind of doubt that. It sounds like too much fun for a hospital. <laughs> I've seen hospitals where, like, easily in the kind of the main entrance, I mean, you could put a roller coaster there, you know, mm-hmm. that, that that could get some fair G's on it, you know. Uh, so that I think that'd be kind of cool if that ended up happening. But you that's know, just me. It's very interesting because there are some other things where, like, examples not of kidneys, but, for example, in the ear, people can get these stones almost in their ear they're called otoliths okay which is basically if you take the latin words odo is ear and lith is stone so an otolith is a stone in, in your ear <laughs> okay and people get these stones inside the uh fluid in the inner ear and it can kind of like 
I don't know, fall on the hair cells and it can cause you to feel dizzy like the room is spinning. It can cause this vertigo. Oh. And the treatment for that is actually maneuvering the head in such a way that it shakes that that sand loose and moves it to a different part where it's not causing that. Wow. So maneuvering the body is a treatment for, you know, these kind of crystals in other parts of the body that are causing problems. Why not for the kidney? It's sure. just that yeah, if, no, it makes would sense. medicine get unorthodox enough to sort of like recommend that people go ride a roller coaster as a preventative for kidney stones? Would your insurance pay for your ticket to Disney World? Because that would be pretty good. Yeah, I, I mean, that, that, wow. But of course, that's not cheap. I mean, you're going to pay a high premium. Well, it's on not that cheap action. to get a kidney stone and have to go to the ER. Fair either, point. You know? Fair point. I mean, it's such, like, I, I thought, I remember as a kid, like, they, they would have shows on PBS where they'd show somebody like laying down in some kind of bathtub effectively and they'd just be shooting like sonic waves. Yeah. Know. So that is one way I think that they attempt to break up kidney stones. Uh-huh. So like if there's a big one that you obviously can't, doesn't look like it's going to get through the tiny tube of the ureters yeah. um, or even the urethra, because that's another painful little tube that it's going to have to go through if it's going to get out of your body. They try to break up the kidney stone with sound waves into smaller pieces so that it right. can pass through. But I don't know if that always works. They try yeah, to use, I, they use ultrasound for it. Right, and right, right. Sometimes it works, it, yeah. sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, you have it, a stubborn little bugger in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> refuses to disintegrate. Yeah, this is a hell of a thing. Like I said, I mean, I, I kind of wonder if it's just, if maybe if it's a byproduct of our sedentary life. Um, yeah. You know, because if uh, if humanity was meant to ride on a roller coaster for its health, um, God would have given them rolly asses. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you really do wonder that. Like, if it if it is sort of a disease of modern life, so to speak. I mean, I would I would guess. I don't have any evidence, really, but I would guess that it is just because of the the simple fact that movement can dislodge these things. Sure. Now, it's also probably has a lot to do with you know, the amount of water we eat and the salts that are like dissolved in that because the crystals can be any number of things. Like some people have genetic uh, things where they, there's certain substances that form crystals accumulate in their kidneys mm-hmm. and they're more likely to form kidney stones that way. Um, some people get poisoned, you know, and they drink or eat something that is going to be filtered out by their kidneys and then form stones. So yeah. like through no fault of their own, right. um, they develop these kidney stones. Um, sometimes they just develop seemingly for no reason Uh, you know like calcium oxalate i think is one of the common things um and if you take like i think if you take too much vitamin c at least in some forms of it then it can increase the likelihood of kidney stones but also if you don't drink enough water um you know you're just not going to be be as dilute and so a more concentrated solution in the kidneys makes it more likely to form crystals so, you know, you just got to stay well hydrated if you know that you're prone to kidney stones or if you're wor- worried about it. Um, so, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it might, after seeing this article, I think it might be fair to say that there is at least like a lifestyle component. Sure. So ride a roller coaster to your health. Yeah, that's, exactly. That's what I say. When's the last time you went to an amusement park, Brian? Because we haven't been together. We've been together for five years uh, or, or is it five years? Five or six. I lose track. Uh, I want to say it's more like five, but I, I lose track too. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a wonderful ride with you, Brian. But yes. we've never been on a ride that's a roller coaster. No, we so haven't we're going to have to get on that. We're going to get all Star Wars. Flags this summer. Or Star something. Wars lands opening up. So we're. Absolutely. That, that's, that's what oh, we're going to do. Oh, wait. No, Star yes, Wars. Yes, no, you said absolutely. No! Oh, I got shit, it on I've record. Been 
record. It's on I'm, record. I'm gonna have to. You have to go. It's a contract. <laughs> Wait a minute. I didn't sign any contracts. So the in joke there is that um, Brian is a huge nerd, and in fact, he runs a tech podcast, SovereignTech.com. S O V R Y N Tech.com. One of the things he loves is Star Wars. Being a nerd, of course, it makes sense. I'm a nerd too, but I'm a little different kind of nerd. I have just never been into Star Wars. I just do never get into it. I had some criticisms of it. You know, I don't mean to take away from people who love it, because I know a lot of people love it, but it's not my thing. So that's why I'm hesitant to go to Star Wars World. But if it was for my kidney health, maybe I could be persuaded. It's for you your think, health. It's for my health. I have my to health. go now. And I said I would, and I've been recorded on the podcast, so now it's going to go down in infamy forever. Season four, episode one. We got it. Season four, baby. We're back. All right. There's more coming up here on Sex and Science Hour. Stay tuned. You won't want to miss what's coming up next. I don't know what that is, but it's good. Hey, so we have finally made good on our promise to introduce a Sex and Science Hour Facebook group. We did? Yes, that's right. This is the live announcement here, folks. This is the first time you're hearing about it. Go on Facebook, search for Sex and Science Hour podcast community, and join that group because we're going to have a beautiful party online. So I hope to see you there. Sex and Science Hour podcast community on Facebook, or check the link in the show notes. Am I an admin? Um, you are now. Oh, no. Yes. I'm not that organized. Ban hammer. <laughs> Watch out for Brian's ban hammer. The one rule is you have to be nice, but please join us there. It'll be loads of fun. Man. Don't bring down that ban hammer too hard, Brian. <laughs> um, no, actually, I mean, I agree with you. Like, I consider myself a person who is rather live and let live let's just yep. say that i consider myself a, a very laissez-faire kind of person i don't like to get involved in other people's stuff or oh, drama yeah. i don't like to be heavy-handed or have a lot of expectations of my friends or anything like that or people who are in my life um i guess my close friends i do have expectations of and <laughs> things like that but i don't like to be you know just putting a lot of obligations on people or making them you know demanding they act a certain way but the one rule that I have in the Sex and Science Hour podcast community, which is our new Facebook group, is that you got to be respectful. If you're going to be a jerk, we can arbitrarily kick you out. It's our private party. So if we don't like your vibe, we're going to kick you out. Yeah, absolutely. And that's just how it is. And I think actually, you know, groups, uh, online forums, groups like that, they work best when they have a heavy-handed moderator. <laughs> I'll tell you, if anybody says calls Chelsea Manning anything other than her or they, ban. Just yeah, like that. I'm in agree I am in agreement with you. Unless it's like an honest mistake, but usually it's not an no. honest mistake. Um <laughs> if you purposely misgender someone just to be edgy or something, let me tell you, it's not edgy, it's not funny, and it's just in poor taste. And I think that's grounds for Brian bringing the band hammer ban. down. <laughs> Practice that, Brian. Practice the banning. Banned. <laughs> All right. Well, before you get banned, you should join the Facebook community. This is brand new. I just I created the group in March 2016. I only added one person to it, and there's been no posts and no activity since then. But I'm finally ready to go public with it, and that's our gift to you as we launch season four. We're starting this community. Brian actually just. Um, launched a Facebook group for his podcast, which was something he swore up and down he would never do for years. <laughs> Am I banned now because yeah. I said that? 
All right. Well, yeah. anyway, I'm requesting yes. to join again. Mine's called Sovereign Tech Uncensored, but it's a secret group, so you can't really search for it. You just have to like PM. You have to friend me and PM me to join. Oh, that's it. how. You, that's how you keep order in the group because oh, you yes. control very tightly who can get in. They have to PM you and request access. See, for I now, I learned from the best Emperor Palpatine. <laughs> All right, go ahead. For now, I am making Sex and Science our podcast community group on Facebook, a closed group so that basically if you're not a member, you can't see the posts, but you can see who else is a member and you can search for the group on Facebook and find it. So I think that's a good kind of like, you know, happy medium between having a completely secret group that nobody can find in search results and they have to like, you know, add me or Brian and request us to join. I don't want to deal with that. Um, but I also don't want everything people post in the group to be completely public because then there's no point to being in the group if you can see everything that's in the group without being in the group. Yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of funny, really, because, you know, I think I think I'm actually kind of the fact for my sovereign tech group that you have to friend me first becomes a natural filter because most people will look at my timeline, you know, my wall and just go, holy shit, I'm not friending this guy. And, you know, then they stay out of the group and everything's fine. But yeah, yeah. a lot of people do do that. They get intimidated by yeah. your um, <laughs> I don't know what it is about you, really, but man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Please continue with the show. <laughs> speaking of uh, banning things and uh, handing down draconian decisions. Wow. All right. <laughs> the Catholic Church has made what I consider a very bad decision. I'm going to keep from saying banned. Go ahead. <laughs> I was that close. <laughs> Um, well, hold on to your seat because you might get even closer. All so right. this is from the BBC. Vatican outlaws gluten-free bread for Holy Communion. Banned! <laughs> I put this in my show notes with a head with the header, Jesus cannot be gluten-free. <laughs> because of transubstantiation, the communion wafer wait, becomes wait, wait. The, the body of Christ, right? You are taking Jesus into yourself y- yes. when you take so, communion. So Catholics somewhat uniquely somewhat believe that you are literally eating the flesh of Christ uh, when you take communion and you're literally I thought you weren't supposed to chew it. I thought it was like you're not eating him. You are taking him in in a way you are making him part of yourself. I don't know, but but you're not eating because you don't chew. Well, I don't know. You but also a, you ever taken communion? Oh, well, of course, not in, not in the Catholic Church. Um, but I mean, you know, I have not. All right, but if it really and was because I really grew up Jewish. And yeah, I well, I did too for half of my growing up, but but now I really am never going to take communion because Jesus cannot be gluten free, and I am gluten sensitive. Well, I have a gluten allergy. Also, like if that was his blood, like if that's really his blood that you're drinking, I mean that guy must have been tanked twenty four fucking seven. I don't know how the hell he was gluten free <laughs> because, <laughs> because it's wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh. So okay, let me read you this article. Bread used to celebrate the Eucharist during Roman Catholic Mass must not be gluten-free, although it may be made from genetically modified organisms, the Vatican has ruled. <laughs> so, That's right, GMO, Christ is all over that. So people obviously, reading between the lines, people are requesting, hey, um, can we get like some gluten-free, non-GMO communion waivers? <laughs> because no. I'm really trying to stick to the Hold diet. on, hold on. How many people throughout their day... 
and actually I think it's quite a few say Jesus Christ Monsanto. I mean, <laughs> so it's like, like it's okay. Like it's almost in his name now, you know, almost. Yeah. Almost. It's, it's very close. GMOs are all right. They're kosher or wait, sorry. That's <laughs> I, I really don't know if that's true. <laughs> they fall under canon law. <laughs> okay. So, um, in a letter to bishops, Cardinal Robert Sarah said that the bread can be low gluten, but he said there must be enough protein in the wheat to make it without additives. The new rules are needed because the bread is now sold in supermarkets and on the Internet, the Cardinal said. Roman Catholics believe bread and wine served at the Eucharist are converted into the blood and body of Christ through a process known as transubstantiation. The wine must also be, quote, natural from the fruit of the grape, pure and incorrupt, not mixed with other substances, All right. sa- said Cardinal Robert Sarah of the Vatican's Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments. Okay, so so I have I, I have a couple of quick questions here. Okay. All right. One of them's kind of cruel, but anyway, my first question is not the cruel one. No. So is human flesh technically gluten-free? <laughs> um. This is something I, don't know why I have, you'd know this, I have but... wondered about because, not because I eat human flesh, but I've wondered if it's possible for, let's just say there's a couple, hypothetical couple, okay, uh-huh. um, man and a woman. Yes. The woman has a gluten allergy, celiac right. disease, Yep. and the man does not, and he eats bread and consumes gluten. Yeah. Now, when he, for example, you know, spills his seed if she happens to swallow it when, when, or eat some of it when they know each other kind of like the bible says right <laughs> when they know each other in the biblical sense yeah, okay. and <laughs> um she she gets that mouthful of seed and she swallows it is there gluten in in there yeah i've always wondered about that i've never been able to find an answer i said before that i I said a contradictory statement, which was that I have a gluten sensitivity and I have a gluten allergy. The truth is I have some kind of reaction that I think is like a a definable symptoms. My hands will break out in itchy bumps if I consume wheat or dairy. Well, then. And so I'm not sure if it's actually the gluten or something else in the wheat or I'm not I don't really know exactly what it is. I don't have a diagnosis. I do not have celiac disease. That is a serious disease where you cannot ingest any particles of gluten. Right. Even cross contamination where like, you know, if if a piece of your food touches a table that bread was on before, you could get sick from that. That's not me, but I do have some kind of allergic reaction. So I call it an, an allergy just because I think that's the clearest way to go. Well, you must not and be I too allergic, uh, but um, sorry. Uh, so, so here comes the cruel part. Uh, and, okay, and that I'm ready. is hit me like, with the cruel part. All right, let's let's test the transmutation of the uh, of of the wafer into flesh, because if human flesh is, let's say, it's gluten free. Of course, I don't really know the answer. To that. Oh, I see where you're going with bring this. Bring yes. in somebody with w- w- celiac disease, right? Yep. Bring them in. And let's see what happens. Right. And and we'll find out yeah. just how, I mean, and it, boy, but you know what's going to happen is the priest is going to say, it was a test of faith. She failed. Oh. Satanist. Well, you know, I, <laughs> I actually agree. I think like maybe not to the extent that you're saying, Brian, but I actually think this is a ruling 
that shows ignorance about celiac disease. Because oh, the church and ignorance? Saying, Come on! It's basically saying that people who have severe intolerances and allergies and celiac disease to, to gluten are not going to be able to take communion because they'll get sick. And they're basically saying, we don't care. It can't be gluten-free. If it's a communion wafer, gluten-free does not count. Church and ignorance is like military intelligence. I mean, like, it just doesn't... (laughs) The the cardinal (laughs) said the bread can be low-gluten, but there must be enough protein in the wheat to make it without additives. Low-gluten, high-gluten, doesn't matter, right? Mm -hmm. If a person who, who is really allergic to gluten gets exposed to it any amount is going to make them sick it doesn't matter if it's low gluten what it's not really a dose dependent even a very tiny amount will make them sick god can't perform a miracle here and you know i mean the miracle would be if this cardinal got educated about the realities (laughs) of celiac disease and gluten allergies By the way, it says in this article, the ruling was issued at the request of Pope Francis. So this came from the Pope. The black Pope himself. All right. So this is this is why do you call him all the, the way black from pope? the top? Because why, why do you Francis was a Jesuit. And so that that comes with certain connotations. And one of his nicknames is the black Pope because of that. Because what he's not a legitimate pope, or oh, no, he's, he's legit. A, I mean, well, d- what does it that mean to be a black ask. pope? Because I'm about, pretty like, sure Angelus. these are like a bunch of white people. But <laughs> what does it mean to be a black pope? Well, I I don't know the exact like history behind why they call him the black pope, but they call him that because he is a Jesuit. You know, I mean, is he illegitimate? If you ask a bunch of set of vacantists, they'll tell you yes. But I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um. Well. I, I'm not sure, but I just think this is like a big slap in the face to all gluten-tolerant people. It's basically saying, you guys don't matter. You can't be Catholic. Wow. So there you go. I don't like it. No salvation outside of the church. All right. Speaking of salvation, <laughs> <laughs> if you really want to be saved, you should go listen to my lesbian romance Ooh. audiobooks on audible.com. Get on your knees! <laughs> This is the only way to really, truly save your soul. Um, no, I'm just kidding. But I would love go it. tell it on the mountain. I would love it if you would go to audible.com, type in my name, Stephanie Murphy, and you will see all kinds of audiobooks that I have narrated, including such greats as The Protector by Bridget Essex, which is a lesbian romance, as I've talked about before. And uh, the, Oh, even that's not in the Bible. The Internet well, of... Yeah, it is. Well, it is, but they say it's bad. <laughs> yeah, right. The Internet of Money by Andreas Antonopoulos, all about Bitcoin, if you've ever wondered about Bitcoin. The Book of Satoshi by Phil Champagne, another popular book how to do no contact like a boss by kim saeed about escaping uh, abusive relationships so there's books for everybody on there go to audible.com type in stephanie murphy and have a great time get saved saved. that's right no i mean seriously like all joking aside don't you think that is kind of like just a big f you to everybody who's got celiac disease of course it is it shows the church is a sham it is absolutely well, I don't want to call it a sham and make fun of everybody's religion, even though we did like a, a fair amount of that during <laughs> this. I don't want to be too disrespectful. I just think it's like not very considerate of people who have allergies. And I'm a little bit sensitive to that. What would Jesus do? Indeed. What, what would, would Jesus, Jesus do? do? <laughs> anyway, um, so I have an interesting article here. We're into the sex segment. And by the way, we've changed the format of the show just a teensy bit. 
Um, we're going to have four segments. Uh, in the last episode of season three, we added a fourth segment just as a little gift to our listeners, a little bonus. And I like that so much that I'm going to keep the fourth segment. So we're going to do first segment kind of like, you know, an opening story like we usually do, kind of like a, you know, news of the weird or just a wild card, something interesting. So first segment is wild card. Second segment is a science story. Third segment is something about sex. And the fourth segment is listener email. So make sure you load us up with your relationship questions, with your, you know, just general advice questions. We love to give advice. And who doesn't, right? Like, that's why there's so many advice shows and advice columns on the internet, because everybody loves to give advice. Not many people like to listen to advice, but everybody loves to give it. The worst vice is advice. We love to give it, too. So, you know, ask us your relationship questions or, you know, really any anything you want to ask us is cool. We have a contact form on our website, which is sexandsciencehour.com slash contact or I don't know, just go to sexandsciencehour.com and click on it and you can send us anonymous uh, messages. So if you're worried about privacy or if you just want to make up a funny name for yourself like Mike Oxard did, (laughs) who wrote to us with hashtag bring back sash. (laughs) Yeah, I got your hashtag. Mike said nothing to report. I just missed the show. Love you too. <laughs> so that's thanks, nice. Mike. We missed you too. We're glad we're glad we're back. So anyway, that's going to be in the fourth segment. But right now we're in the third segment. So we're talking about sex. And I had an interesting article from Cracked called "Confessions of a Female Nice Guy." Whoa! Now, what does, what does that, that mean? mean? It doesn't mean that she's transgender. It means that you know those guys that say. But I'm a nice guy. Why don't women like me? Why can't I get a girlfriend? I'm such a nice guy. And the reason that that is often ironic is because they are saying they're a nice guy. First of all, if you're really such a nice person, you don't have to say it. You show it through your actions. Second of all, they often say they're a nice guy but yet they'll then turn around and say these incredibly misogynistic things about women. <laughs> like, oh my God, I'm such a nice guy. These women are such fucking cunts. They can't see it. They're <gasps> such bitches, you know? Um, <laughs> well, it's like crazy people. Crazy people never admit that they're crazy. But <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know about that. Yeah, I have to think about that. Fortunately, I guess I haven't been exposed to too much, but crazy i get told i'm a nice guy and like i usually you know you get told though you don't get you don't say it about yourself but i usually get all kind of like skeletor from he-man just like i am not nice i mean you know i get very crazy about it but (laughs) (laughs) well i think you are a a very nice person and not just nice because nice can mean all kinds of things nice can mean you let people walk all over you and i don't think that describes you brian i think you stand up for your, your own needs and wants and um what your your opinions and everything and i like that about you too because you don't take a bunch of crap just for the sake of being nice um i think you're a very interesting person and i could go on and on about all your great qualities that's very nice of you oftentimes the the people who describe themselves as i'm a nice guy why can't i get a girlfriend or whatever um they'll they'll often have this attitude of like i'm entitled to a girlfriend Right. Because I'm a nice guy, that means I should get a girlfriend or they she should be responsible for she should be obligated to at least give me a chance or 
something like that because I'm a nice guy. And no, I mean, you, nobody owes you anything in life. You can't walk around with that attitude because it's just not going to come true. You are not entitled to anybody's time or affection or giving you a chance or anything like that. And the sooner you figure that out, the better success you'll have in dating. Yeah, I mean, it's it's actually a very scary prospect because this is a person who who has this idea, personal idea of what like a good life is Mm -hmm. what rules you're supposed to follow because that's what they're saying is that, okay, no, 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 I did everything right. I played by all the rules and I should, I should get something for that. I need a reward in the end when, you know, in life, look, there really aren't any rules. I mean, like it's that that's, I mean, you're almost getting with an authoritarian there. It's, I mean, it really should come off as a red flag, Mm -hmm. but anyway, please continue. Anyway. So this is an article by a, a woman who says that she is a female nice guy. And let me explain what she means by that. This is from Cracked. And it's by Christina H. She's the female nice guy. I don't know if you've heard the term nice guy. Ironically, it doesn't refer to any nice guy. It refers to a sort of internet phenomenon of a guy who complains about how girls won't date him and prefer jerks, and therefore all women are bad and shallow and are too dumb to know what's good for them. Jerk off motion. <laughs> right. Um, and that's kind of what we just said about the nice guy. It's yeah. like, yeah, oh, I'm so nice, but I think that all women don't really know what they want out of relationships, and they're too dumb to realize that I'm the one for them, and they, they just go after these assholes because they're broken and damaged. Yeah. But I'm a nice guy. <laughs> Such guys existed before the internet, but their inescapable public complaining is part is the part made possible by the miracle of technology. A lot has been said about the nice guy and what is wrong with him, so I don't feel the need to repeat it. What I do want to talk about is his mirror image, the nice girl, the female who goes a little nuts after failing to get guys. <laughs> I know a lot about this type because I was this type for a long, long time. It's pretty sad, but I always say if you can't mock the embarrassing parts of your past, what's the point of having lived them? And I agree. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I agree. I like to make fun of my past mistakes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, nice guys and nice girls aren't exactly parallels, as men and women have different roles and expectations in society or whatever, but there are some similarities. Let's play high school English class and compare and contrast. Five, there is a type of girl who cannot get any guy. One of my pet peeves is guys who assume all women are getting it on whenever they want and that it's only guys who worry about not being able to get a date. There is no such thing as a woman who can't get a man, the view goes, and if she doesn't have one, she must just be too picky. If you're a woman who can't get anybody interested in her, like I was for a long time, this is confusing because apparently you don't exist. Or at least you're not a woman. You're just some weird, technically, that is nitpicking a nice rant about actual women. Uh, sorry, some weird technicality that is nitpicking a nice rant about actual women. Now, you might be thinking, if you had trouble getting dates, you must be real ugly and or fat. Now, in all honesty, I'd say I'm pretty average. My biggest problem is probably how I can't talk to people. A little bit Rain Man, less so now. <laughs> I dressed pretty stupid for a long time, and I was also an asshole. <laughs> More on that below. But if you're angry at me for any reason and it makes you feel better to think I'm fat and ugly, okay, that's okay too. If you're feeling crappy about life, do whatever you think will help. (laughs) And it's not just me. As a woman who talks to other women, I can tell you there's plenty of women boohooing to their girlfriends during girl talk time about not being able to get a date. Maybe men miss out on this wonderful experience because it's more embarrassing to boohoo about it to a man, but I I don't know. 
part of the disconnect is that the guy who, quote, never gets any is not getting any sex, and the girl is complaining that she can't get a relationship. Now, I'm not saying that all men just want sex and all women just want relationships, but the deal is that society shames men most for not having sex and shames women most for not having a dude on their arm. Society considers the sexless man and the mateless woman failures. Society is mean. It's not generally an insult to call a lady a virgin, while it's fighting words if you say a guy can't get laid. In fact, for the crude, insulting a lady means going the other way and saying she has been boned by too many people. But it might hit harder to tell a single woman that no one will date her and she will be an old lady with 50 cats, or basically, you will never have a relationship. Healthier people can shrug it off and be secure about who they are and why they're not dating or having sex. This article is not about those people. <laughs> so she's saying it's a myth that there are, it's a myth that there is no such thing as a woman who can't get dates or who sure, can't right. get a guy. Right, right. I agree with that completely. Four, I chased guys badly. And it has a little, has a little, you know, like the figurines you would find on like a wedding cake. And it's uh -huh. a woman that's like grabbing a man who's running away by the collar. <laughs> like, hey, come back. <laughs> so in order not to become that cat lady, I had to resort to desperate measures like making a move on a guy. I know guys think, big deal, I always have to ask girls out, deal with it. But the dynamics are a little bit different here. Girls aren't supposed to pursue guys. If you succeed, it's no big deal. You're just a confident woman who knows what you want. However, if you get rejected, especially multiple times, everyone sees you as this pathetic, desperate, man-hungry dick chaser. Basically, Lena Hyena from Roger Rabbit, except without the good body. <laughs> <laughs> In movies, girls that chase guys unsuccessfully are pretty much always crazy and or ugly. Yeah, that reminds me of this dating show I saw. <laughs> so, confession time. I am a big fan of the show Married at First Sight. You are. And, yes. <laughs> um, I watch, I've watched every season of that show. I wait every Thursday night for it to come out. I'm like super excited about it. I don't know what it is I love about it so much, but I love it. I think it's great. And um, recently they came out with like a spinoff show of Married at First Sight called Married at First Sight Second Chances, where basically some of the people who ended up in an, they ended up they were in an arranged marriage the arranged marriage did not work out on married at first sight so they got a second chance and they set up this kind of like the bachelor and the bachelorette kind of show mm -hmm. where multiple women are competing to date this man and multiple men are competing to date the woman and in the end they have to end up with one but anyway, um, I won't spoil it or tell you how it turns out, just that I really enjoyed um, watching it. But <laughs> there was this one woman that was wanting to date the the Bachelor, the man in the series, uh -huh. and she just came off as completely psycho. Like, she was stalking him on the internet. She saw his bathing suit, and she goes, oh, I saw you wore that in season you know, in like episode three of Married at First Sight, I remember you wearing that on your honeymoon. And she said she stalked him on social media. She asked him for a kiss. He said no. She kept like coming back and begging. And then finally he dumped her and she was just like, F you. Like she was just like going crazy about like, you know, just not taking the rejection gracefully at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
why was I saying that? Oh, yeah, got women who chase guys. Um, in this article, she's saying that usually the stereotype is that women who chase men unsuccessfully are either crazy or ugly. And yeah, this girl was... It just made me think of this woman who looked completely psycho on the yeah. show. <laughs> I mean, which which isn't, you know, it's the the overall point here, abstract point isn't true. I mean, there's absolutely gorgeous women, you know, conventionally, I'm speaking, mm-hmm. um, that really can't get with a guy that meets their needs. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, like that, that that's just it, it's ridiculous to say that that, oh, women have it so easy, you know. Yeah, no, in this this is like um, the second um, point in the article where she's saying she used to chase men yeah unsuccessfully yeah and she thinks that that came off as looking really bad i mean i i have to say um i pretty much am the initiator in most of my relationships and yeah. i've been with men you know what i would i don't know about lots of men but i've been with men and you know like for example you brian you're my partner and i basically kicked off the relationship we were friends for a while oh yeah until i said hey i like you as more than a friend yeah but i was the one who made the first move and i'm usually the one who makes the first move and i'm comfortable with that you're good um, at it. sometimes people turn me down i guess it, it more often than not they say yes but um i have had it happen where somebody turned me down sure and um that doesn't feel good <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, that just goes to show. I mean, you're the most beautiful woman on the planet. I mean, and that's like, you, you know. Thank you. I mean, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, but uh, I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> but but yeah, I agree. Like, it feels really bad when I, as a woman, have been interested in a man and pursued him. It feels bad when you pursue anybody who's not as into you as you are into them. Mm-hmm. But... I, there's there's a special kind of bad that it feels when a woman like kind of chases after a man who's like clearly not into her, right. and I I get that feeling. I get how bad that feels. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so <clears throat> let's see. She goes on to describe like a bunch of movies where like you know these women are portrayed who are chasing after men and they're crazy or and or ugly. Um, she says, I'm not saying these characters or movies were bad. I'm saying they're easy to think of. Well, I can't name a single movie where a girl directly went after a guy openly, not pining secretly and following him around and dropping hints and was not crazy or a laughing stock. Right. Guys that chase girls unsuccessfully are split 50-50. Some are portrayed as stalkers or losers, while many are the noble protagonists trying to get the dumb slash damaged lady to see that they obviously belong together, a la Breakfast at Tiffany's. Their persistence is supposed to be sweet. If a woman is persistent, it's either comical or horrifying. <laughs> so that's it. I was a choice between I had a choice between being the crazy stalker lady and being the crazy cat lady. It was pretty tough. If I liked a guy, I'd try to hold it in as long as I could to avoid looking desperate. But at a certain point, I just had to know. Everybody says that this dynamic, girls can't pursue, means that there's a hilarious misunderstanding where a girl and a guy are interested in each other, but neither one is brave enough to bring it up, so they miss their opportunity. So I'd always give in eventually and make the first move to make sure it wasn't one of those little accidents, but it never was. (laughs) Most of the time I got the old, I really respect you as a friend, but I just don't feel that way line, which I always took to mean that I wasn't attractive enough, or at least I didn't fit his idea of attractive. If only I had known the term friend zone back then, I would have realized that I just failed to use the right moves and say the right lines that would obligate the guy to accept me as his girlfriend, no matter what his preference. And she's obviously being 
sarcastic or ironic there because there is no magic word that will obligate someone to accept you as their partner, even if that's not their uh, preference or idea. But I'm pretty sure I used all the right techniques, which are copy everything the guy does. I would get into his favorite video games, despite being completely hopeless at any game with street cred. I would try his favorite hobbies like cycling or hiking. I would wear the kind of clothes he liked to wear, baggy jeans, hockey jerseys, surf tees. I'm not sure why this didn't work. What guy doesn't want to bang Kevin Smith? (laughs) (laughs) Much, much later, I'm very slow. I learned that I would have gotten a lot more mileage out of showing a little leg or not wearing giant glasses or not constantly talking about how everybody else was so fake. But in the end, it's a good thing this didn't work. Or I would have ended up marrying a guy who had a Kevin Smith fetish or the guy who I pretended to be outdoorsy for. He ended up marrying an athletic woman who actually enjoys the outdoors while I married a guy as lazy as I am. We're probably both a lot happier than we would be if we'd stuck together hating the things the other person wanted to do. So she's saying that she... You know, one of the ways that she chased after people who really weren't interested in her was by, like, you know, absorbing their interests, even though it wasn't something that she was interested in. Yep. So, yeah, I agree. That's not a good way to it's not a good way to get to somebody's heart. I mean, I think you can't really fake that (laughs) that shared interest over things. So number three, this is where it gets good. I had a really insulting view of men. Important note. The nice guy or nice girl might come across as a person who hates themselves, but in most cases, that's misleading. I thought I was great. (laughs) When I talked about how I sucked, I meant how I sucked in the eyes of the dumb world out there that couldn't see how great I was. So since I wasn't letting go of the assumption that I was great and nobody, just nobody could see it, I had to explain why the other, less great girls were getting all the guys. There's two popular ways to tackle that. One, decide that the other girls are manipulative bitches tricking all the guys into thinking they're great. Or two, that guys are all dumb and focus on dumb traits and don't know a cool girl when they see one. Or both. There's obviously a third choice here, that maybe I'm not that great, and maybe the other girls are cool in their own ways. This was clearly impossible, so I dismissed it. (laughs) I dabbled with the first option for a while, manipulative bitches stealing all the men, But then I had to abandon that because I had really cool best girlfriends who each had a lot of suitors and they were too kind and real to be cynical man-stealers. So I settled on a worldview I held for maybe 10 years, that men are dumb and all they care about is looks. They all want stupid, boring women because smart women make them uncomfortable. In retrospect, I guess this was also extremely uncharitable to my girlfriends. You might notice that this made me into a sort of hero or martyr for not being able to get a boyfriend, because I was this lonely, brave woman being honest about who I was, smart and cool, instead of spending hours on clothes and makeup and giggling at every dumb joke a guy made and never correcting him. Men would stupidly fall for that and go out with girls who made them go shopping and watch chick flicks, when I would have played video games and watched sports with them and had clever debates with them. As long as I kept believing that fantasy, I didn't have to change. It was up to everybody else to change. I wasn't wrong. The world was wrong. Oh, yeah, that sounds familiar, huh? (laughs) If I had been on the Internet at that time, I might have written a whiny rant about how guys are dumb, shallow pricks who only like stupid, stupid, fake, giggly women who ooh and ah at a guy's shitty achievements so he can feel like a big man. And oh, by the way, will one of you guys go out with me? Wait, 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 wait. (laughs) Isn't that part true? (laughs) No, (laughs) no, not all men are like that. And not all women are like that. You know, not all women just quote like asshole guys. You see the parallels here? Oh, I I don't think that the yeah, I don't think women like 
all women like asshole guys. Um, well, anyway, please continue. Yeah. <laughs> You might be wondering how I thought I could get away with insulting all men and then asking a guy out in the same breath. And the answer is simple and dumb. <laughs> My plan was that the guy I was talking to would be ashamed to lump me in with that group and would be motivated to be one of the good ones, in my eyes, who rejects the bullshit his entire gender has agreed to abide by. Surprisingly, shaming a guy into going out with me was a less effective tactic than I had expected. <laughs> And yeah, it's funny because what she's writing about is really interesting. She's writing about all the things that the stereotypical nice guy does, but the genders are reversed. Mm -hmm. And she's a, a writing about it as a woman. So I just think this is really interesting. Um, she says, quick note, this type of negging recommended by a lot of pickup artists does seem to work on people who don't value themselves very much. But that just seems despicable, morally equivalent to scamming the elderly. All right, here we go. Number two. I mostly just stewed silently. <laughs> you might be wondering why there's less whining on the internet from nice girls than from nice guys. They're both pissed off bitter groups of people. The internet should be their time to shine. Well, for one thing, it still seems like it's more shameful for a girl to confess to not being able to get a boyfriend than it is for a guy to, not, to confess to not getting a girlfriend. Guys can compensate partially by pointing to their various other achievements, whereas people don't seem that impressed by girls' achievements. Women are still kind of mainly defined by their sexual desirability. Thanks, thanks, society. Work on that, will ya? Also, whether because of genetics or society or whatever, women tend to be more comfortable holding in anger, while men tend to need to act on it. I don't think this is necessarily something to be proud of, as some people speculate that this is why women are more prone to depression than men, but it does mean that there could be a hundred women silently stewing about this for every one that lashes out. The combination of shame and social conditioning to hold in the anger is probably good news for nice girls' victims, though. She's probably less likely to try some of the more terrifying stalker behaviors and less likely to confront the guy that, quote, owes her a relationship. Nobody wants to get the nickname Fatal Attraction. <laughs> and then finally, number one, nobody could straighten me out. A lot of people told me I was wrong and tried to help me, but I bravely refused to listen. Think about what I would have had to give up if I admitted they were right. Remember that in my worldview, I was the last bastion of integrity in a society of giggling airheads and shallow men, willing to be myself and say what I thought despite what it cost me. If this was wrong, I would have had to admit to myself that I was wasting my goddamn life, that I was the dupe, believing lies about how refusing to accept other people's decisions is heroic faithfulness. The guys that didn't want to date me, oh, sorry, that guys didn't want to date me because nobody likes to date sour, superior jerks, and that's exactly what I was. I had to take off this exoskeleton that had been keeping me propped up for so long that was uh, sorry, that had been keeping me propped up so long that what was inside was basically jello. The only way I was finally able to back down was, counterintuitively, people being kind and supportive to me about other unrelated things. This way I had something to fall back on when I lost the high horse of nobody will date me because I'm too special. When I had friends being cool and good things were going on in other parts of my life, I had something other than my martyr story to lean on. In a movie, I guess I would get into the perfect relationship right after I learned my lesson. In real life, I didn't. I was still kind of lonely and, and, and all that, but I wasn't angry at the world. I didn't justify my inability to get a date by blaming men for being dumb and not knowing what's good for them, or see other women as jerks who didn't deserve their men. 
I just tried not to dwell on it and get working on a successful, or let's say satisfactory, career in CG. The point is that, even if I did find a guy and get married eventually, that's not what solved the problem. I'll stop being pissed at the opposite sex when one of them agrees to go out with me is basically holding your own happiness hostage. You're probably hurting yourself more than anyone else, unless you're actively harassing someone about it, I guess. If you knew you had to go the next five years of your life without sex or a relationship, regardless of what you do, what's a better way to spend it? Being bitter and mad or tabling that issue and getting a ton of other shit done? That's right. Being better and being bitter and mad takes less effort. Well, pick what you want. My goal was to get more embarrassing stuff out in public to reduce the risk of someone blackmailing me. And I say mission accomplished. <laughs> so <laughs> a lot of like, you know, self-deprecating stuff in there and sardonic. I, I didn't like how like kind of cavalierly she made fun of herself, but she was making some really good points about how she used to view relationships like, oh, I can't get a boyfriend because something is wrong with everybody else. It's not that something is wrong with me or that I need to look within myself to see what I can improve. Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, because she makes the point that, well, you know, who would like to be with, with such a like an elitist asshole or something like that? Uh, uh, me? Like, like, I kind of like that. Like, You would like to be with somebody who's an elitist asshole? Tell me more about that. Well, I mean, somebody... Th- so many people like they, they really are goofs. Okay. Like that's not an inaccurate statement. You know, when you look around and you go, boy, what a bunch of fucking idiots I'm surrounded by. I mean, yeah, I know there's the old cartoon that shows everybody's thinking that same thing, but like, really, there are a lot of, a lot of, a lot of dumb fucking people around you. Okay. And like for somebody to kind of recognize that and whatever, I don't know. I, I think that's kind of hot. I, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't well, agree maybe with... if you're both on the same page about it yeah, but yeah, yeah. if somebody is like oh everybody else sucks and that's why i don't that's why i'm single you know then right. it's like it's obvious they're just not looking within they're looking outside when they should be looking inside sure sure i could see that there's some problems with it but like some of the broad swaths made with this i don't know that i necessarily you know agreed with the the kind of the point being made yeah so but i mainly thought it was interesting because of the gender role reversal sure you know just because like there's this stereotype of the nice guy but like as she said women tend to be quiet or hold it in so they're not going to be on the internet complaining about how they can't yeah (laughs) yeah no it is it was fascinating you know just some finer points where i'm like yeah no i kind of dig if that's how you were thinking yeah absolutely What is that music? I guess it's segment four. (laughs) All right, we are in segment four. Woo! Um... (laughs) Yeah, we kind of talked into that segment, but you know what? It's okay. I'm just okay. going to go with it. All right, we'll um, run with it. Yeah. Fuck, we'll do it live. Yep, exactly. Just like Bill O'Reilly. That, I, I think that was the best thing that Bill O'Reilly contributed to media. Was fuck, we'll fuck do it, it live. We'll do it live. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Because that's how I feel with like every show we record. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> we are in segment four. And with that awesome music, we got uh, by Roll Music, by the way. Of course, we always thank Roll Music for our music bumpers. Um, we are getting into the relationship questions and we got one that I wanted to make sure got on the show. Okay. This person says, hi guys, 
I've been a fan of you both since I heard you on the Conspirathon. And the Conspirathon is a series that we did with uh, Brett Vinat from the School Sucks Project, where it has nothing to do with school. It's all about conspiracy theories and yeah. deconstructing them and t- picking them apart and analyzing them. And is there any greens of truth in there? Um, so check it out at School Sucks Pro- at the School Sucks Project. Just Google it. Uh, Google Conspirathon. But anyway, um, this, they say been a fan of you both since I heard you on a conspirathon. I appreciate the great levels of intelligence you both have and the depth to which you explore topics. Thank you. Recently, my significant other of 12 years and I have been discussing the possibility of swinging or having an open relationship. We are excellent communicators and have a strong monogamous relationship. I am a bisexual female and my significant other is a cis male. We have been doing research into other people's experiences, but I would appreciate hearing from people I already respect. What challenges did you face when you began? Do you have any advice for a couple that is new to the lifestyle? Thanks, guys. So um, what do you think of that, Brian? Wow. Uh, Honored, first off. Yeah, Um, me too. There was a lot of complimentary stuff in there. Yeah. So the first thing I think when people uh, send us an email like this is, do they want to like swing with us, like together with us? <laughs> and I don't know for sure. Uh, maybe if they did, they would just ask directly. But um, no, I mean, I think it's a good question to ask. It could be an icebreaker, but it could also be a genuine question of like, hey, what's your experience? Who's being the female nice guy now? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so first of all, I think she's maybe assuming that we are swingers or that we are i don't know what she's assuming but um well, regardless just for people who don't know us um hi i'm stephanie and this is brian <laughs> we are a couple we are partners life partners we live together um we i guess we have described ourselves or would consider ourselves not strictly monogamous especially like in theory you know like we are we have both been interested in non-monogamous relationships in the past yes um we've read a lot about it we've practiced you know we've had times where we've dated multiple people um you know i would say in in practice our relationship has been a lot monogamous yeah the idea was always that well if somebody else comes along we're open to meeting them and you know open to letting relationships develop and not necessarily holding back other romantic connections that we might feel with other people because just because we love each other and we're together in a romantic way. Yeah. Um, we might be open to more love in our lives, but, um, you know, that's kind of rare. We're not really actively looking for it. I guess I would say we're really satisfied with each other. At least I'm, I feel that way. Sure. I feel like, um, I'm super happy with you, Brian. And I think you feel the same way. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, I guess we we were like open in theory, more monogamous in practice. But having said that, I mean, we've both have some experience in this realm. Um, the question was, what challenges did you face when you began? Well, I think one of the challenges is transitioning from a relationship that starts out as monogamous to open or polyamorous or swinging or whatever you want. That's a big shift. Yeah. And may you know, uh, maybe problematic with what you agreed upon perhaps when you started the relationship. Yeah. You know? 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it it can be really difficult for people. You said you've been together with your significant other for 12 years. So that's a really long time. You have a really strong monogamous relationship and and are great communicators. And I think that's a that's a fantastic place to start. Mm-hmm. You know, you know each other really they have well. A great foundation. You've worked out the kinks with communicating and sure. you know, you you're very in tune with each other, very close. I think that's a great place to from which to open up a relationship if that's what you both want. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I say if that's what you both want, because some people it's more unilateral, like they've been together in a monogamous relationship. One person suddenly decides that they're getting bored or they're getting dissatisfied with the relationship and they think they'll find the solution in opening up the relationship. Right. And it may be that that one party wants it more than the other, and the other person just goes along with it because they're afraid of losing their partner. So that's the situation I would say you want to avoid. But it doesn't sound like you're in that situation. It sounds like you're both on the same page. So g- good job. You're already on step one. That's good. <laughs> um, when we began, so Brian, you and I never started our relationship with the intention that it was going to be um a strictly monogamous relationship yeah no that was yeah that was kind of clear from the get-go mm-hmm. when we got together we were not dating anybody else but at the same time we were open to dating other people mm-hmm. you know we just didn't because i don't know nobody came along that we were interested enough in <laughs> yeah and um we never like promised each other like we talked about it a lot and we had both had sort of non-monogamous relationships in the past and yep. we were like yeah i think that's what the model i would prefer going forward and right. so we just kind of uh adopted that but but we ended up you know kind of just focusing on each other and i'm glad we did that i think that worked out pretty well right sure um so that's why I say I think it can be a challenge. I've seen a lot of relationships open up, go from monogamous to non-monogamous, and there's a you know there's a a difficult transition there. Yeah, and you know, on a, in many ways, it seems it can seem to be more difficult internally for the guy to handle, depending upon how one how seriously one takes genders, and if they do take genders seriously, uh, a lot of times a guy can feel very different about another guy coming in. Not always, but sometimes that can be a thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, uh, as compared to, it'd be very easy for him to accept like another woman coming in, which I'm kind of guessing is the direction this is going because the, the emailer, she said she's bisexual mm-hmm. and that her husband, she said, she said her significant other her significant is a other. cis male. So that means he's cisgender. Like he's born. They said it's a boy. He feels like a boy or a man. Yeah. yeah he's straight. Um, yeah. But no, that it didn't say he's straight. Oh, um, cisgender doesn't mean straight. It just means that your gender and your it means that you have a penis and you feel like a man. Okay, it doesn't mean it doesn't say anything about who you're attracted to. Okay, but I think maybe that's that's right. The that's why they assumption. say cis het, cis heterosexual. Right. Yeah, gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, right. Yeah, she didn't say her partner is heterosexual, but I'm right. guessing that's the case. So. Um, yeah, I agree with you, Brian. Like there can be those conflicts in, especially in a, in a heterosexual, uh, couple where then the woman starts dating, um, more than one or or starts, brings another man into her life. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, there is real potential for those men to clash with each other. Yep. Um, you know, I think a lot of, 
a lot of men don't grow up with the idea of like, <laughs> you know, having these close friendships with other guys, especially when there's this element of maybe com- they feel maybe some competitiveness for the yeah. women and it's hard for them to really connect with each other. Yeah. And it's not like, I don't think it's a natural thing either. It's just something that's kind of culturally conditioned, something you're sort of raised with. Um, I mean, the only like really. Some guys are really easygoing and they can get along. But sure. Not, not all. Sure. I mean, the only, you know, in my past, the only MMFs that were ever like really amicable and like were really cool were, were with like my best friend at the time, you know, a guy who like we were just that close you know, that, that, that it was, it was possible. And when you say MMF, you mean a threesome with two men, two men and one woman. Mm -hmm. But I mean, it had to be somebody with like that level, it had to be another guy really with that level of comfort. And I mean, I like to think personally that I can read people in a very short amount of time. And I, you know, and I, I can, I can figure out how it's, how something would go down and it's tough to find another dude, you know, like that. I, I think, like for me personally, that I would be comfortable with in that kind of situation. Yeah. Um, you know, not to say that it's easy for other women. What, to what get would um, what would make you comfortable? What What would you look for in a partner of your female partner? Like, let's say, I'm and I'm not, but let's say yeah. I wanted to have a boyfriend besides you. What would make you comf- What would you look for in him for you to be comfortable with each other? Uh, I'll be honest. I'd look for a lot of my, what I see as my own personal qualities, uh, because, and this, this is another thing too, with, with guys, uh, kind of particularly, I think is that since you, okay. Okay. Like if I, if I'm like, say just, just for the example, we'll talk about you, Mm -hmm. what you found attractive and saw in me, Mm -hmm. like kind of uh uh gave me the or gave these words are tough like i earned you know your love Mm -hmm. and your trust to where you know sex is going to be a thing Mm -hmm. and to where sex is a thing um i would want to see the same thing i wouldn't want just some schlub Mm. you know like off the street effectively yeah that i mean it's your call your choice you would want to see what i saw in him or her whatever in that other partner you what, wanna, what, you what, what you what you saw in me, right? Yeah. yeah, and and so you know that way, like because otherwise, it, I, I think a, a guy can feel very like it, I don't know, it can just come off as very strange. Um, when when your partner chooses another partner, and you're like, oh my gosh, what do they see in that person? Yeah, I mean, if it's if it's one night stands and all this other shit, I mean, that's that's a, I guess that could be that could be different. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking to open up like relationships, you know, like. Sex on the regular is a very, very deep. It's an opening of, of, for lack of a better term, souls. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a bearing of souls, you know, I mean, this is, this is very serious. And there's a, has to be a lot of trust involved. I think, I mean, for me, it's a very emotional thing. Right. And so I just, I wouldn't do that with just anybody because I know there's a potential for me to get hurt. I'm really opening up my heart. Yeah, exactly. So I kind of want to want to see those similar qualities, you know, in in a guy um, for it for it to make sense, you know, as to where if it's a woman, if you know, if in our case, like, let's say you, you were with another woman or something. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. there's things a woman can deliver that a guy just can't. And look, just fucking deal with it. Guys can't. OK, <laughs> it's 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 a reality. It's an objective reality. Um, and there's so a shared understanding of being being 
women. Right. But okay. But I mean, yeah, exactly. But I mean, there's, there's different expectations there. They're like, there's different, you know, I get that. Like there needs to be something else as to where if suddenly you're like, yeah, I want to introduce this guy. Well, you know, okay. How, how does, how does he measure up to the level of trust that you bestowed upon me <laughs> that you're also going to bestow upon them? You know? So are you saying that you have different standards for a male versus a female partner of Fuck your yeah. partner? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. I mean, just, just, yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting that you brought up female partners because, um, this person mentioned that they're bisexual. The question asker did. Yeah. And so often something that happens with heterosexual couples is they do something called unicorn hunting, which I'm sure you've heard of question asker, but if you listener haven't heard of it, um, it's basically when a heterosexual couple is looking for a hot, single, bisexual female for a threesome with them. And often there's a lot of other expectations wrapped up, up in that. For example, she has to be equally attracted to both of them or have equal feelings for both of them. Um, she can't be more into one person in the couple than the other. She has to always have sex with both of them at the same time. Um, she she maybe can't have sex with other people or outside of them or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so all of those things are kind of a raw deal for the unicorn in, in many ways. Sure. You know, nobody really wants all those expectations to be placed on them when they're just first entering a relationship, especially. And also, um, you know, unicorn hunters are a dime a dozen. People looking for this type of arrangement are plentiful Yet there are not that many hot, single, bisexual women that um, can fulfill what they're looking for. Right. So the unicorn is in higher demand than the couple. And so as a result, she can afford to be really, really picky. And um, most of the time it's easy to be picky because couples make a lot of mistakes when they're hunting for unicorns. And so I just read this. There's a great website called Unicorns Are Us which basically lists out all the mistakes that people often make when they're unicorn hunting. Mm -hmm. And there's also um, an article I just read called Eight Things That Couples Do That Make Me Want to Fuck Them. And it was written by a unicorn, and she gives all these tips where she says what makes her attracted to couples and what makes her want to have threesomes with them. Uh -huh. So I thought that was really, those were both really good resources if you're looking for that type of arrangement. Um also, just in general about open relationships, there's a book I'd like to recommend called Opening Up by Tristan Terramino, who's been a sex educator for many years, and she's fantastic. Um, she's got a lot of other books. But this book, Opening Up, is all interviews with couples and other types of relationships that have opened up relationships. Yeah. And they're just telling their stories and talking about their experiences. So if you really want to hear from people who have done this, that is a great resource. And I think it'll help answer your questions and find what you're looking for. Yeah. I think just if you're going to start opening things up, I mean, if it's, if it's not just for like novelty of sex, which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. If you're looking for other relationships, I really feel like both parties should be in, in the previously monogamous relationship should be able to describe what exactly gets them hot and bothered about this other person. Why do they want to include them? And I think they should be able to describe that very well. Uh, because otherwise, you know, if they can't, I start to wonder if it's not just, okay, this person just wants to start fucking other people. They're, they're tired of me or something like that, you know? Mm -hmm. So you're saying that you would like to see, 
um, specific things about the partners, the new partners. I want to hear. Yeah, you want to hear specific good reasons about the new partners of why they're attractive. Yeah. Rather than just, oh, I'll take anyone as long as it's not me, <laughs> as long as it's not my old partner. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. So, I mean, and not that's not to say that, that you need to be controlling of what the other person does. I mean, that's antithetical to what you're even trying to do. And don't. And that doesn't mean the person has to be the exact, like like it needs to be your 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 doppelganger or something, you know, that this that this person is going to go out with on us. It could be, you know, kind of a, a mixture of novelty and trust and other things, you know, to where the person's kind of different and they want something different. That's fine. But I'm just saying there should be a, there, there's got to be so much communication and it should be able, it should be really very easy, very clear communication. Uh, that way you really understand what this other relationship that you're, or what this opening up of your relationship really means. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's a great suggestion, Brian. Um, definitely reminds me of some experiences I've had where, you know, I was interested in someone or dating somebody and they were attracted to somebody else. And I thought, oh my gosh, like what the heck do they see in that other person? Like, mm -hmm. why are they attracted to them? I think this person's a joke, you know, or a schlub or a slub or something. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't like this other person and I don't understand why my partner or my interest is attracted to them. So yeah, that can definitely affect how you feel about somebody. Um, another thing I wanted to just throw out there is that like you said, Brian, getting clear on why you are interested in this new person mm -hmm. is important. I think it's also important to get clear on why you want to open up your relationship. What do you actually want? Do you just want sexual novelty? In that case, maybe swingers, clubs, or something with that, like of that nature, swinging would be good for you. Or do you want love with other people? Do you want to experience love with a woman as well as a man? Maybe polyamory is more for you. So I would look into different styles of openness as well. Yeah. And um, I think that's going to do it for season four, show one. Don't Ooh, worry. There's a whole more season to come. And science Stay tuned for the after Game show, over. too, because Play the show's not over week. yet. split it up because we are definitely going to months, split it up I yeah mean, we yeah. will split it up um it has been since april that we did a show and now it's july and so we have almost a quarter of a year worth of <laughs> worth of stuff yeah that we haven't talked about on stuff.sexandsciencehour.com now i'm sorry i'm completely mixing up my my uh, spiel here in case you're just joining us for the first time welcome thanks for listening to our show we hope you like it and we hope you stick around if you want to make sure you stick around go to sexandsciencehour.com 
you can click on the links to subscribe to our show, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, join the Sex and Science Hour Facebook community on Facebook, or sorry, Sex and Science Hour podcast community on Facebook, and all that good stuff. But if you really, really want to be a part of the after show, you can actually do that. And we have set up our after show so that we have an Amazon affiliate link. And if you shop through that link, we will get a list of stuff that's purchased through it. And we'll talk about it on our after show. Yeah. So your purchase anonymously, of course, because we don't know who bought it, but we just know what was bought. Um, your purchase could be discussed on the Sex and Science Hour after show. All you have to do is go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And now there's also some exciting news on that front, too. Just last week, I got an email from Amazon um, about our Amazon affiliate link. And it turns out that Amazon is doing a, um, a, a special program that they're calling One Link. So what, what that means is basically we will be able to give out stuff.sexandsciencehour.com that redirects normally to our, our U.S. Amazon page. But now we were, we're going to be able to link it with Amazon UK and Amazon Canada accounts. Right. So what that means is that we will be able to give you one link. And then if you live in the US, UK or Canada, it'll automatically take you to your correct Amazon and you can go shopping on there. And, and all the stuff should theoretically end up in the Sex and Science Hour pile. Awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's been a while um, that I've been using Amazon affiliate links, and I'll tell you, they don't make it easy for for you to have multiple Amazons because in the past it was always a problem. I'd have like a few stray listeners from like Germany, and they'd be like, "Hey, I want to shop through your Amazon link, but I don't know what to do." Yeah. And so um, this doesn't fix the Germany problem, but at least it links U.S. and U.K. and Canada, which is a big deal, and that gets a lot of people. Absolutely. So anyway, very exciting stuff. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna start with some of the highlights of the stuff that have been purchased in the last three months. Um, we'll start out with the um, the the one of the highest dollar items, I guess, of the last couple months. This is a two hundred and fifty dollar memory foam mattress. Nice. Yeah. At first, I thought it was a pillow. And I was like, holy shit, that's an expensive pillow. But then I saw that it was a mattress and I was like, holy shit, that's a cheap mattress. <laughs> <laughs> so so this was a full 12-inch mattress and it's made out of memory foam. It's called Zionist Memory Foam. And it says it's a cloud-like mattress. Zionist? Yeah. Not Zionist. Oh. Like oh. Zionist whatever. <laughs> um, it's Zionist. Z-I-N-U-S. Okay. <laughs> so. Well, that's a nice cheap mattress to have for you know when you start opening up those relationships i mean definitely <laughs> want right. places for them you to might sleep. want to buy like three of them and just put them side by side you that know would Brian, be awesome. this is a this is a great segue because years ago i re- do you remember this brian we haven't talked about this in years but brian had this idea to make like basically custom bed shapes for multi-person sleeping arrangements for basically when you have more than two people in a bed. Yes. And it could be like a, you know, it could be a, poly- a polyamorous relationship where there's four people or three people sleeping together. It could be for like a family bed for people who sleep with their kids. Yep. You know, co-sleeping. Um, and I think there would be all kinds of uses for it. The marketing would certainly be different, but r- regardless, there's <laughs> yeah. different demographics that would need a bigger bed than just a regular king size bed. 
So um, I think that's a great idea. I don't know how you'd pull it off. You'd probably have to go to China for the manufacturing. I don't know. I mean, I think there's already some companies that do this. There's a few. We looked into it, but there's not many. Yeah. I don't know. If you know of any companies that make a good multi-person bed, let us know. Contact us at show at com or on our contact link on our website. Yeah, we're yeah, absolutely. Somebody bought some audio equipment. We had the Audient ID14 high-performance USB audio interface. And as far as I can tell, this is like a mixer. And it's got a couple of channels or, oh, no, it's a preamp. I'm sorry. It's a preamp. So what a preamp does is your microphone plugs into the preamp. It has, um, you know, you can control the high and low tones. You can control the gain on the microphone, which is basically the volume Mm -hmm. on the microphone. You can do a noise gate, which is like it filters out background noise below a certain level. You can filter out like low, you do a low pass filter, which is basically like rumbling sounds or something like that. It makes it sound better (laughs) this is what this thing does and uh, somebody bought one so this was a 2.99 price point so very cool it looks like it's a a small one so that you could totally put it on your desktop and um i don't know it goes out uh sound goes in sound goes out and it sounds better somebody bought a lenovo yoga book which i know you're excited about brian because you were interested in this computer yeah, is that the little 10-inch one? Yep, it's a 10-inch Windows tablet. It's a two-in-one tablet. And the list price was $550, but the price um, on sale was $384. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually, like, those that's are very... sounds like a really good price, yeah. Yeah, these uh, these computers are unique because they don't have, like, a... I mean, they have a physical keyboard, but it's not really a physical keyboard. It's actually, like, a slate that lights up around where all the keys would be. And oh, so it's kind cool. of a touch... It's not a touch screen. It's yeah. It shows somebody on the picture. There's like a tablet, but then there's like almost like an iPad where you can close it like a book. The bottom half of that book, where the keyboard would normally be, it's like a it's like almost like a touch screen, and the person is using a stylus to to operate. Right, because you could use it as a keyboard, or you could use it like a Wacom pad. I mean, these were really, in my opinion, like you, you look at a Lenovo Yoga book. That is the future of computers. Uh, in a, in a very real way. So yeah, I think they're exciting devices. No doubt about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, somebody bought a pool pump for their pool. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, like an in-ground pump. I hope they're using it for their hot tub where they're having swinger parties. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> so, um, we also had uh, like a couple of other items. Let me see. Um, okay, here's an interesting one. Soylent meal replacement drink coffee 14 ounce bottles 12 pack but that's not the kicker somebody bought five of those so somebody wow. bought 60 bottles of this soylent stuff man they are gonna be drinking soylent they're gonna be every single day anal leakage <laughs> Um, why do you say anal leakage? Because I don't think that's necessarily a given, but I would like to hear your uh, well, argument. There's, there, there's claims that, that, well, now there's, there's like a two or three generations of Soylent, depends on which one you're getting, I guess. Uh-huh. But like the original generation of Soylent, there were concerns that, uh, your ass was doing some funny things. <laughs> 
from drinking it. That's... Who was concerned, Soylent or the the drinkers? No, people, the drinkers in general. Uh, <laughs> like there were there were problems. Okay. So, which is why there's been like three generations of Soylent. So, okay. anyway, but hey, rock and roll. Uh, you know, people have bought Soylent through that link before. I say it every time. Yeah, they didn't buy five of them though. They only no, bought right? one, and then they must have liked it, so they got more. Yeah, I mean, I say it every time. Look, I wish there was just you know I could just pull out a container out of my or you know pull something out of the refrigerator uh-huh. not cook it not do anything like that just drink it woo, and move on with my day like that'd be awesome but i there's not that food out there that gives you all the nutrition that yeah. is like a true replacement for real food yeah 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 but one day yeah i think that's very interesting Soylent's working on it i guess I, on the other hand, do not want that. I've spent a lot of my <laughs> life having to eat, like, you know, at school, like a like a defined lunch period mm-hmm. or at work or whatever. And now that I work from home and I can eat whenever the fuck I want, I love to just take a leisurely dinner and take really time to enjoy my food. And I love, I take so much pleasure in food. I love food. So I do not want meal replacements, but... um I can see how it would appeal to someone who's interested in like technology. <laughs> well, I just, you know, I mean, if I, I barely get everything I need to get done in a day anyway. So if there's something yeah. that like sped that up even more, that'd be, that'd be awesome. Yeah. And historically, like I've never really been a cook. I mean, now I can cook stuff, but you know, I know I'm there's sort of a part teaching of you how to cook a little bit. You have taught me. I mean, but there's a part <laughs> of me from the past that like would just Listeners. love that sort of thing. You guys don't even know. It was so bad. Brian did not even know how to cook an egg when I met him. I had to teach him how to make eggs, and then he made it every day for dinner an omelet. <laughs> I can cook now. Yeah. Bottom Aww. line. <laughs> no, you're doing really good. And and yeah, like I get that. I get that desire to save time. That's part of the reason we do intermittent fasting is so that we don't we don't um, spend a lot of time changing like for, changing gears from like work to lunch to back to work again to dinner yeah you know we just we work all day through the day don't take a lunch break and then um don't eat breakfast either yeah and then just have dinner and it's a long dinner but it's a dinner and i like having that long dinner because i find it relaxing sure anyway um (laughs) sometimes ryan thinks i take too long for dinner Uh, but that's only when I make him watch Married at First Sight. Well, for five <laughs> hours, like, you know. I pushed him to his breaking point here. <laughs> I mean, that just five hours, like, anyway. I'm sorry, sweetie, that won't happen not, again. It's okay. Don't it's worry. Okay. <laughs> okay, so somebody bought, if you get married at first sight, you're going to need um, some stuff for your kitchen. And this person got a KitchenAid five-speed diamond blender in metallic chrome. And now this is not just any blender. This is a $100 blender. And it is like a state-of-the-art stir, chop, mix, puree, or liquefy. Pulse nice. mode works for all speeds for staggered ble- uh, blending. This is a good blender. Somebody got a, a Maytag M400 speed heat iron and vertical steamer. So we've got a blender, an iron. Somebody maybe is getting married and is like putting all the stuff in their new home. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Uh, somebody got a set of 110 paper coffee cups. So this is like a set, you know, that you would find it like any coffee or tea place mm-hmm. where they have not only the paper cups, but the lids and the, the cardboard things that you can hold it so that it doesn't burn your hand. 
And um, that was $26 for a set of 110. So not too bad. Somebody got some canvases. So like to paint with. Okay. That's good. Paint it. Pack of seven canvases. Um, So we got a, a tactical backpack. A military sport camping hiking trekking bag. All right. Forty dollars. And what color do you think they got it in? Black. Yes, black. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> they went with the black, not the camo. Don't go with the camo. Somebody got a Thermarest lumbar pill- lumbar pillow. So this is like maybe somebody's going camping. Maybe the backpack and the Thermarest pillow and are the coffee cups. And the coffee cups maybe are part of the same group. I love camping. Yeah, I we need we need to do more camping. I love camping. Too. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they got this Thermarest pillow, $28. This is like a self, like not a self-inflating pillow. Oh no, it is self-inflating. So Thermarest is a brand of camping stuff. They make these mattresses that you can just unroll and they kind of like inflate themselves. And then you just like roll them back up and they deflate. Nice. It's pretty cool. Um, along the same lines, somebody got these, you ever seen these bags? It's like a giant Ziploc bag. You put stuff in it, like a pillow or oh, blankets, a vacuum and then you have a vacuum. Yeah, there's like yeah. a hole where you put a vacuum, and it sucks the air out of it, and then you can store those things like under your bed and compress them and save a lot of space. Very handy. Yep. So that was a five pack for twenty two dollars. That was good. Um, somebody got a hat like uh to go camping in. <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. Thirty six dollar hat, but UPF fifty, so it protects you from the sun. Nice. Um, let's see what else. Women's One Daily Mega Food supports emotional balance and stress response. It's like a multivitamin with some veggies in it. Um, tomorrow's kitchen instant marinator, 2.5 liter capacity. So you put it in there and I guess it decreases the time that you have to marinate like steak or fish or anything like that to 20 minutes. I wonder how it does that. Hmm. It says it, um, it says it has like a vacuum pump. So it creates an airtight seal that allows the rapid uptake of marinade. And I think we'll stop there because that's pretty cool. So to be continued next week. Yeah. Thank you so much for tuning in. Enjoy that mattress. Jeez. Yeah. Enjoy your camping trip. Enjoy your mattress and pillow and everything else. (laughs) And if you need more, just go to stuff.sexandsciencehour.com. And thank you so much. We're so glad to be kicking off the new season. It's been a long time coming. Don't worry. We'll be back next Friday with more. Yay. Sex 